you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 141. Hi, guys. How are you this week? Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Hope everything went swimmingly for you. Um, This month, I have a two-part conversation, and I just wanted to give a little bit of setup. Um, I sat down with a couple, virtually sat down. We're still in a pandemic after all. But I sat down with a couple, and Amanda Purchase, who hopefully you're now familiar with, uh, who works as a mastermind mentor uh, in my mastermind. She works with me. She's got 20 years of experience as a pediatric occupational therapist. And I like to call her the kid whisperer because she just like knows exactly what's going on. It's freaky, you guys, how she just knows what's going on with our strong-willed kids. No matter what the behavior, this woman, she blows my mind. I'm like her biggest super fan. So anyway, she joined us in the conversation just to weigh in a little bit about lagging skills and strong-willed behavior. And I sat down with this couple, and the reason I invited them on the podcast is because they're a couple that are in my mastermind, and we actually developed a program based on their request. So typically when people work with us, we enroll groups at four different times a year, and they reached out to us, you know, two busy careers. Mom and dad both work outside the home, and they were like, yeah, we need help now. And so I said, well, we've got the programs built. Why can't we just work with them in kind of a one-on-one VIP way and let's just let's just build it. Well, and let's just be fully transparent with them and let them know we don't have a program in between groups, but we'll create one. So that's what we did and now that sort of feels like the way that we're going to be mo- working with people moving forward because it's our favorite thing and this couple they're like we just kept referring to them like they I think they became a verb for us. We were just like we want more people like them. They just came in, did the work, were super coachable. Um, and I just also want to kind of put this out there. You'll find out in part two, um, really we'll go more into their professional lives. But when people come into the mastermind or want to work with us, I don't ask anyone what they do career-wise because I just feel like the common denominator for all of us is that we have a strong-willed kid. And, um, and that just levels the playing field. And when all of a sudden you start talking careers or profession, I just find that like all of us, you know, people feel like 
oh no, now I have to like pretend I got my shit figured out more than I actually do. Or I don't know, it just taps into the ego a little bit. So my goal is what's going on in your household? Let me share resources. Let me coach you. Let me help you. And it doesn't really matter what you do. But as we got to know them, once they were like deep in the program, we realized they were both professionals, um, therapist, doctor, uh, and they were very coachable because they had a lot of knowledge from a child development standpoint, but they also were dealing with all the same issues that we, if you've been given a strong-willed kid, you, all of us have been dealing with. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to invite them on the podcast because I think it's helpful when we go to the professionals and we ask for support. And I'm thinking back to when I was a mom in the pediatrician's office worrying about my kid, worrying as a baby about why he startled so much, why he was having such a problem eating, why he wouldn't freaking sleep, why, 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 you know, all the things. If it was a possibility for me to hear from my pediatrician or occupational therapist or one of the multitude of resources I went to visit to help me kind of solve this puzzle. Um, If I had heard, you know what, I've got one too, and this is what has worked for me, Um, that would have been huge for me, huge. It would have made me, I think, feel like, oh, they really get it. And it would have helped me not to feel alone. I think that's where a lot of the pain comes in for many of us parents is like, it, it it taps into something primal when we feel other. Like, why is it so much easier for, for everyone else? Why does this seem to just be so much more? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my kid? And so I think it can, you know, it can tap into a lot of insecurity and um and feel really vulnerable. And so I I would have loved that. So I thought having them on the podcast, maybe that will allow all of you guys who are right now in the thick of it to feel that, to understand you are so not alone. And even the experts, even all the people we're turning to who we think have all the answers, like they're humans too, and they get it. So um, so that's what we're going to be covering this month in on the podcast. And part one, we really tap into mostly like what their personal story was. And then part two, we'll go a little bit more into the professional realm. So enjoy. We're going to be having a conversation today that is going to be very good, very impactful. I've got an amazing couple here, Brian and Carly. And then I have Amanda Purchase, who is our mastermind mentor, who you guys have heard on a couple of other podcasts. We're going to tap a little more into things that I think are being spoken about when it comes to these strong-willed kids by the professionals who care for them in their lives. What is sort of being talked about behind the scenes that sometimes is a little uncomfortable to talk about directly to the parents. And so that's going to be an interesting conversation to have so that the listeners can kind of be a fly on the wall and sort of hear what is being talked about there. So without further ado, welcome Brian, Carly, and Amanda. Thank you for having us. 
my yeah. pleasure. My pleasure. Well, first of all, how old are, are your children? So we have three kids. They are seven, four, and one. And we've got two working parents, busy careers, lots of hustle and bustle in the household, close extended family. And when you first started realizing that you had given birth to a strong-willed one, can you remember back what it looked like when y'all kind of started realizing there's something different about this one than maybe my, our friend's kids or like, I want y'all to take me back to that time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, even from a really early age, you know, as a two-year-old, there would be just very, you know, strong tantrums and that sort of thing. And, you know, starting from that moment, we were just sort of like, oh, this is typical two-year-old behavior. This is what two-year-olds do. And then, and then when she turned three, it was kind of the same thing. This is, this is just, you know, they say three is harder than two. And I think we did a really good job of sort of justifying the behavior and we were, the challenges we were having at that time. And it was never anything about us. It was always just, this is just, this is the age that we're currently in. Um, And then we got to four and I remember looking it up in a book and saying, oh, this, this can be typical four-year-old behavior. (laughs) I thought it was going to magically get better at four and it didn't, it didn't. And so I started looking into it a little bit where I was like, oh, okay, wait, this, this can be typical four-year-old behavior. And then we got to five and and it was kind of like, okay, what we're doing is not working and it's not getting the response that we're going for. And so maybe this isn't just, we're going to grow out of this and maybe we really need to actually stop just kind of ignoring it and hoping it'll go away and try to actually do something about it. And so that was kind of when I think we started looking into things a little bit deeper was around five. And, and at that time we, I think we sort of realized that, that she was definitely strong will be sort of always knew that, but also that she was highly sensitive. And I think that those kind of sometimes seem like contrasts that, you know, she can kind of come across so aggressive and strong that you don't really think that on the inside, there's all these big, strong, sensitive feelings that she's just kind of expressing in a, in a good way. So we started sort of, started sort of understanding and trying to look into that a little bit more. And we, and that's when I kind of came across actually a, a video about how aggression can come out. Anxiety can come out as aggression in children. And it was kind of like, Oh, maybe there's something to that. You know, maybe this really aggressive behavior that we're just thinking is just a badly behaved kid is actually that her behavior, you know, all behavior is communication. And she's trying to really tell us something that she doesn't, she doesn't feel good. And, and we should look into that part a little bit more. And so, and so at that point we pursued counseling I started taking her to a counselor, which has been really helpful. Um, And I think what we realized, though, soon after with that was that the counseling was for her. And that was good. That was what we went there for. But that it wasn't for us. And so, you know, while she was learning tools to, you know, name her emotions and, um, and be able to express them in in healthier ways and, and, and feel comfortable talking about them and that sort of thing, we weren't doing anything differently at all in the way that we hadn't learned anything. And, um, and that's not a reflection of her counselor at all. Our counselor was doing exactly what we asked her to do, but we just sort of realized like, wow, we need to compliment this, you know, like this is, this is not something that we're not going to be able to do the same thing that we've always been doing and expect her to just, you know, go to this appointment one day a week. And then she's going to come home and respond completely differently to us when we're losing our cool and we're, you know, not doing, doing things great. And so that's when I kind of just started reading all the books uh-huh. and I didn't do great at reading all the books. I would read parts of books and, 
I mean, you know, it was busy. Like she at that point was probably nobody ever does. Let me just say yeah. this. Yeah. Nobody, honestly, like people, all people get through like, you know, the first chapter or they read it at night and it's like, they're the best sedatives. Parenting yeah. books are like <laughs> great. Oh, sedatives. You cherry pick. Right? You just go <laughs> yeah. and you look up in the index, what, what you're dealing with and you try to pull some stuff. And so you have, you have 10 half read books on your bedside table. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we had, a, I guess at that point, a six year old, a three year old and a, probably a newborn, you know, so mm. I didn't have time to finish all the books, but what I would pick up the book when I was desperate, when we'd had a terrible day or, you know, something just wasn't going well, you know, I would pick things up and I, and it would, it, and what it made me realize was there's something to this and I really need to, to, to figure out how best to help her because there's definitely more to do than what we're doing. Um, and I think it was at that point when I was just sort of searching and reaching everywhere and, um, and finding something, some things that helped that I happened upon the mastermind podcast. Just sort of well, let me I, back it up first of all, because I want to go back to when you at, at two, she was having tantrums before two. Was there any, now that you know what you know, can you look back, you know, just that she's highly sensitive, that the strong-willed behavior was really the aggressiveness of um, how she was kind of channeling her anxiety to get it out of her body was through all that strong-willed behavior. Um, and one thing I also want to say is, as I was saying to somebody recently, uh, um, I think one of my moms who uh, has struggles a lot with anxiety, and I said, what if as a little one, you had been allowed to be explosive? Like if you hadn't been totally squashed and shut down and all of this sensitivity rather than manifesting as swirling anxiety inside your body that now you carry with you into adulthood and is causing chronic pain and all kinds of other things. Um, what if you had had explosive meltdowns as a little one and when you lived in your emotional brain and you were just able to release it um, and you hadn't had to carry it all these years, wouldn't you actually be possibly a healthier adult than you are now? So couldn't it be that a child that's having, you know, explosive meltdowns as a toddler, maybe you're preventing them from living this existence in the future, maybe it's actually a sign of being a little bit more healthy than, than being so scared shitless that you have to hold everything inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of, I don't know. I, I'd never kind of connected those dots before, but it also was, my point was, was if we can, I mean, it's terrible when you have a toddler that throws a meltdown over every little teeny tiny thing. And, um, and it's an exhausting day. You know, and it's a, and so I kind of want to focus on when you're going through that exhaustion, what I was kind of saying to this parent was, if we can look at it as maybe I'm, my kid doing this right now is preventing them from being kept up at night with chronic anxiety and all the things that come from it in the future, maybe it would help this parents in this parent in terms of their patience level when they were going through those meltdowns, just to help them kind of you know, understand that it's like, this is short-term pain, but long-term gain, my kid's not going to be riddled with that, you know, that in the future. Um, so let's go back to the two-year-old. Did Was there any signs now that you know before she was two? 
And now that you've had two other kids to kind of compare, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think at the time I probably wouldn't, we probably wouldn't have thought anything more other than just the terrible twos or, or terrible threes. Um, but I think now having two other kids with our youngest, um, showing some signs of, of probably being a highly sensitive person as well. Um, I, it, it brings back some, some memories, um, of, uh, uh, of some of those signs of just having like a highly sensitive nervous system. Mm-hmm. Like sounds are louder and tags are itchier and smells are smellier and things like that. And so I, it, it reminds me of, of even when our, when our oldest was a child, just sensitivity, uh, j- just an increased sensitivity um, that I wouldn't have really thought about uh, mm-hmm. until until now, of course. Um, and, and again, then I wouldn't have been able to put it into words and been able to describe it. Um, but I think now I can see the link of, of her having this highly sensitive nervous system, which would probably let her more prone to these, to these tantrums and acting out. Um, and that we just sort of brush under the rug. Well, and I think we always knew she had big feelings. Yeah. Um, but I think we just, you know, when you're two and three, you almost, that's a, a developmentally appropriate way of getting them out, you know? Um, and then all of a sudden when you're five, that's no longer a developmentally appropriate way of getting them out. And, and so I think you're right. You know, it's, it's really good that we didn't, that now at the point that we're at, we're learning how to teach her, you know, that she, how to get those feelings out in a productive way, but that we're not saying you shouldn't have these feelings or it's not okay to have these feelings or you need to repress these feelings. Um, Right. Yeah. We didn't have the, we didn't have the empathy piece to it. You know, I think we were more quick to just shut it down and let's just figure out any way to stop these tantrums because, you know, or, 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 you know, you try to stop them or you just like, walk away, let him just get ignore out. Them, ignore them. Didn't but, help her. We just ignored them. I mean, that was the whole thing, yeah. right? You like, you don't ignore, you just ignore a tantrum and you just yeah. let them. And then, but, but really, and that may work for some kids, you know, they may realize, Oh, that's not getting me the attention and the results that I want. But for her, it was like, I don't feel good. And that's why this is coming out. And people are just walking away and no one's helping me figure out how to get this out in a productive way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, then as she became older, she just continued to get them out in non-productive ways because never taught her because um, we never taught her so. how to do otherwise. We just sort of, you know, go go to your room, you know, and she, and it was kind of like when I read somewhere, you know, in a kid who already doesn't know how to deal with this, now you're just sending them away by themselves to 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 deal with it even less because they're already they're trying to tell you, I don't know what to do, I need help. Um, and our answer was, That's how, yeah. it's so interesting, but that is the old paradigm parenting paradigm is, um, punish them and, you know, punish them and show them how that behavior is not going to, you know, is not going to get them the things that they want, right. They're going to experience some level of pain by, you know, having something taken away or really old school parenting, even physical pain, you know, I'm going to smack you. I'm going to spank you. If you behave this way, then I'm going to smack, you're going to experience pain. And, um, and so all of the focus goes on that. Let me teach this child through pain. And we don't put the emphasis on the skill building. What I take away from that is 
you know, kids who have these lagging skills with self-regulation, they don't automatically learn self-regulation because you send them away to their room or, you know, whatever else. And so what happens is these kids, that's why they still have tantrums at five or six, because they don't, they're not developing those skills, you know, like you have to have the empathy piece and all the other tools to help them learn that self-regulation because it, for some kids, it just doesn't develop naturally, right? Like, like any other developmental skill with crawling or walking or whatever else, you know, some kids are more delayed with that. And some kids are more delayed with the self-regulation piece. And so you have to have the parenting tools for the kids who are delayed with self-regulation. You have to have the parenting tools to be able to teach them. And if you don't have those, it leads to more anxiety on the part of the child because they're like, okay, I'm not getting it. You're letting me like have these tantrums, but I still don't know what to do. So then it becomes this anxiety and then the parents become more frustrated and it just becomes this vicious cycle of more and more tantrums, more anxiety on part of everyone. And then eventually till, you know, um, like Brian and Carly said, they found a therapist that was helping the child, uh, their child, you know, label these feelings, but they still didn't necessarily know how to approach it at home. So like requires all the pieces, I think, to. And, and Randy, do um, as much as, you know, you don't like to say you compare your kids, it, it's hard not to, but especially when our second came along and started getting older and you just start seeing those, those differences and um, uh, how um, our second one was just, it just came more natural to self-regulate and not, you know, uh, he would have his his tantrums, but even just his recovery from tantrums or his, you know, not as many of them, um, his ability to kind of calm himself. Um, again, we would never try to compare him in the moment to each other. But as we're talking behind closed doors, you're like, you know, there's something just still, you know, she still has a hard time being two and a half years older of, of kind of self-regulating herself and being able to calm herself down and her impulsivity. And again, that just sort of made us want to keep reaching for something else. We knew this was something more than just, um, you know, she'll grow out of a type of phase. You know, it's so interesting because I think it is, it does give you a point of comparison. You don't really know with your, with your first and for, that was the case for us. And then when we had another, and I, and I actually put off having that second baby, not realizing why, but, I was, I think I was like, I got to figure this out. You know, I, I, I didn't know why I was dreading, why I was dreading having that second baby. But I think it was because this is harder than I thought. Like, isn't this all supposed to come so naturally? Like, I couldn't get him to sleep till he was like, you know, 14 months old. And I just didn't, you know, I just didn't know. And then when I had, so finally I was like, okay, you know, my first two are almost three and a half years apart. And I really got decided to have a second baby because I was like, if I wait any longer, it might get weird. You know, maybe they'll never play together, whatever. And, um, and so I kind of decided to have a second baby reluctantly. And I remember when she was born, um, I was like, this is so easy. Maybe it's just cause I know what I'm doing. But then as time went on, and I would have a baby. I remember when I had a babysitter that came to the house that did some cleaning and would, you know, watch the kids or whatever for, you know, a couple times a week. And I remember there being a point she was like six or seven months old. And I wanted to take her with me to run errands and to go to the grocery store. Whereas 
I needed that time away just to be alone and recharge when it was when I only had my my older child. But once I had Avery, I just wanted her to be with me all the time because she was so easy. Like the grocery store was more fun. I could have her in the baby Bjorn and she would ooh and on. It was just she was such a pleasure all the time. And then I started feeling guilty that I was favoring her over him. I felt so guilty about that because I was like, and for years I had this secret guilt that he was so angry because he knew that I actually enjoyed being with her more, but she was so delightful and easy, you know? And so that was my, some secret mom guilt that I had, but it was that comparison that let me know there's something to figure out here because he's not this enjoyable. Like I love him to pieces. I was so crazy mama bear protective, but he was not so this enjoyable to be around, this easy to be around, you know? And I don't think this is something that we typically, I mean, I know I couldn't talk about that. I didn't have anyone I could talk about that with when I was going through it because any friends I talked about it, I didn't want my kid to suffer. If I sat there and told friends who have little kids that are his playmates, how difficult my kid is. What if then this parent judged my kid and then didn't want their kid to be friends with my kid? You know, I, I didn't consciously think this, but deep down, I didn't want my kid to suffer because I opened my big blabber mouth yeah. and told somebody else that he was difficult to be around. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did y'all experience any of that? Yeah. And I think, um, I, I think I, I think about it a lot with our third now, cause our, our first and our second definitely just have different personalities. They, you know, but our third is very much, I think going to have some similarities to our oldest. And I just wonder um, how differently things will go with her because from the very beginning, and that's where my mom guilt is, is that we didn't have this knowledge, particularly like three years earlier, maybe even her whole life, but particularly around that four mark where we realized that, you know, things were kind of not just, we weren't just going to grow out of things. That's where my mom guilt is, is that at that moment, I didn't know this these things so that we could pivot at that moment because I feel like between that, you know, sort of four to six, that's where a lot of the things happened that we're now trying to undo and that are now a lot harder to undo than had we approached them much better um, from the beginning. And so I think we've, we've spent a lot, you know, to your point about, we spend a lot of time just saying like, you know, she just has a more um, challenging personality or she's not as laid back or she, you know, and then you feel guilty saying those things because, you know, a lot of those skills may serve her really, really well in her life. We just have to help her channel them in the right ways, you know? I think it's important to talk about the guilt of these kids, especially when they're little, they are more difficult to parent when they're having all their big feelings. Like we can understand it all day long and it's freaking exhausting. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I always say you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Right. And so when that guilt of, I didn't give, you know, for me and I know that you guys are seeing like, what will, how will it turn out differently now that we are recognizing these behaviors in our one-year-old when she's four, right? Like we will have already been handling this different from the get-go. So is that going to 
give her this sort of unfair advantage over her older sister because we had our shit together more, right? Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To reflect on the, you know, before, whereas like, you know, our middle is right. not old enough to remember any of the, before we were using these tools, but. Yeah, and Randy, um, you would say that that these highly sensitive kids are usually very perceptive and pick up on things. And it's amazing. Our oldest at seven, one, like how much she remembers mm-hmm. and how much she'll bring back and how much she picks up or hears things that we didn't know she heard. Yeah. Um, and and it's encouraging to hear you say that because we're still on this roller coaster and kind of in the thick of it and in and out of defense zone and um, and uh, still still obviously working through some stuff and and there's still days where you're like oh my gosh like we're gonna ruin this kid <laughs> you know because we revert back to our old ways of parenting and whatnot um but it's interesting just because she, i think she is so perceptive i can i think she's gonna grow up very uh more self-aware more self-aware and 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 hopefully you know selfishly thinking that she'll understand that we we're, we're, we're just in this together and, and kind of going through this together and we're going to mess up um, and we're going to have chances to, to, to try again and, and have second chances with our kids. She is going to understand that because y'all are going to be talking about it. Cause that's the thing about being a mastermind family. You talk about everything, yeah. nothing's off the table. And so, um, and so that's been a big part of, you know, the parenting journey. And I think why, why Alec, it's so fun to see him as, you know, the parent of a doggy and seeing him use the tools, you know, seeing him use the tools because we've been talking about it the whole time and there is no perfect, like he knows we're not the perfect parents. He knows that we're all figuring this out. He knows that we can have a mo and we still have it. Like, I mean, a lot of times it happens via text, you know, where it's like, you know, he'll blast us for something or take his little, his big feelings out on us. And, um, and then we'll blast him back. You know, it's not like it's all kumbaya over here all the time. It's just the recovery is so quick when you've gone through this process. Cause it's like, we're all messy. We're all going to have moments where we suck, you know, And we're all going to have moments where we have big feelings. You know, the funny, the interesting thing is, is as this is a conversation that just kind of is part of your family culture, as they grow, um, it becomes just, you know, and now y'all are noticing you probably have two out of your three kids that are highly sensitive. Okay. And let me have y'all connected the dots on which of you guys, or if both of you is prone to high sensitivity. We, we've talked about this. Well, we did. Don't you have an assessment on that? And I thought I would be more than I was. Um, yeah, but Clo- Car- I'm definitely strong willed. There's no question about yeah. that. And um, more prone toward anxiety and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think I've become more self-aware of being a little more, highly sensitive, probably maybe not to, to the level of our oldest, but it's definitely made us more. I think, I think we have an equal share of that for sure. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because it runs in families and we were out for, um, we were out for dinner. Um, and it was, 
we were celebrating something and my son and his girlfriend were in town and, um, and it, and our younger son was not with us. And so it was just all the older young adults slash teenagers. Um, and so it was me and Scott and Alec and his girlfriend, Jamie and Avery. And we were at this like new hot spot, cool restaurant. And we haven't gone to a lot of restaurants, you know, because of COVID and whatever. So we're kind of, you know, we're kind of, I don't know, trying to, trying to treat the young people to something special. And so we, so we go and, um, and by the end of dinner, so Jamie and I, who are both not, I mean, the girlfriend, we're very kind of similar and she's a total extrovert. Um, and we're tanking it all in. We're having a good time. We're talking the whole way through dinner. By the end of dinner, Alec, Scott and Avery were all just like shut down and looked wiped. And it wasn't a long dinner because the restaurant was so, they said it was just too overstimulating. There was a lot of music on, um, the, there was a lot of crazy artwork. The people that were coming in were like, you know, we live in Houston, so it's pretty diverse, but it was like, I don't know. They were dressed like they were in Vegas. I mean, it was like a lot of glamour and glitz. And and when we left, Avery kind of put words to it. And she's like, oh my gosh, like that was just too much. Alec has identified that he actually loses his appetite mm-hmm. when he's in an environment and it's a social, and he's trying to socialize and have a conversation and he's a naturally, he's just a very thin person. So he kind of struggles with his appetite anyway. Um, So he's trying to have a conversation, but there's so much bandwidth that goes into having a conversation. But then when you're in an overstimulating environment on top of it, he literally loses his appetite. And so we were all having this and My husband also is highly sensitive and he was just like, yeah, that was a lot. So when we left, the conversation was that that restaurant was too much for the three of them. And Alec even, you know, he recognizes like he's still young and what do they do as friends? They go out to, you know, the hot restaurant with groups of kids. And he's like, you know, really my takeaway is just that I need to just eat something before I go because it's just not going to be, it's not, you know, it's a hanging out experience. It's a have a few drinks experience. It is not a big dining experience for him. He needs to eat before he goes out because he loses his appetite by all of that extra. And that's where I'm like, I was, and I was talking with Jamie and I was like, well, thanks for making me not feel alone. Cause I thought it was great and it was fun to be out. And, you know, and she and I talked the whole time and had a really good time. Um, but I thought, you know, how cool is that, that it's not a negative in our family to be highly sensitive. It just was, this is just a piece of self-awareness, you know? So I, I, I feel like that's also changing the conversation where it's like the world doesn't have to be extroverted and pretend that you, that you know, high sensitivity doesn't exist. High sensitivity is actually, you know, a beautiful thing, you know? And so if it's part of your family and it's part of how you guys are wired, nobody needs to put on a mask and pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Like this is who we are. Yeah. I think that's a narrative we're we're trying to change too, because I think for so long with our olds growing up, it just was portrayed as a negative thing, her, her big emotions and her, her, 
uh, and her expressions of big emotions were a negative thing. And, and it's now just misbehavior. Yeah. And so now when we try to talk to her, you know, I, I, I want to make it more of this positive thing and, and not, it's not a bad thing that you have these big emotions. Let's just talk about ways that we can express them productively. Um, uh, and, and so much of it, especially me is changing my mindset because I, I will quickly go to the negative and just be like, Oh my gosh, like we're still at this and she still can't control herself. She's still so impulsive. Um, and instead of trying to, you know, focus on the positive and how, how we can spin this into, you know, like you say, her, you know, what's going to be her superpower when she yeah, gets, you, when you, how great is it that you feel things so deeply yeah. and, um, and that you're able to express your emotions and, you know, those sorts of things instead of it just being negative all the time. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, we got to hold space for you guys because that's, that's the thing is that, you know, when you're in the thick of it and you still have a kid that's, that's young enough where they're in, they're still living in their emotional brain a lot of the time. Um, and Amanda, maybe you can kind of speak to this where I just want to say, like, when you've got a kid having outlandish meltdowns over, like, you know, you just had Christmas and because, you know, their brother or sister touched their favorite toy and then you have a kid screaming at the top of their lungs or whatever, you know, and you're like, are you freaking kidding me? Like you guys just had the Christmas of your lives mm -hmm. and I got to deal with this shit, you know, because I mean, we're human and it's like, nobody wants to deal with that. So to like, be like, <sighs> It's very normal for you to have big feeling. No, we're not going to deal with it that way. We're going to deal with it like teaching them those skills in the heat of the moment when you've got a scenario sort of like that. Like, Amanda, what does it look like when that's going on? Well, I think I think Brian said it when he said he has a different perspective because I always tell parents like when you don't understand your child or where they're coming from, it's very difficult to be empathetic to them. And if you can't be empathetic to them, then you can't help them achieve self-regulation, right? So um, I think too, it's like when we have kids, you know, when we first have kids, we, we, we tend to expect kids to process things as adults and they're not adults, they're kids. They don't know, they, you know, processing is a learning process for them. Like they literally have to learn how to process things. And I think too, because we are adults and we're more in a fixed mindset of this is how I process things and this is what works for me. We have the expectation that our own children, because there are children are going to process things the same way that I process them as a mom or I process them as a dad. And when you have a child who processes things different than the way you process things and our expectation is like, no, the right way to process things is the way I process things because that's my viewpoint as an adult. You know, we have to step back and look at like, okay, hang on, just because she's processing things differently, that doesn't mean that it's incorrect or wrong, right? So acknowledging as a parent of like, hey, my, like just how kids have to learn that they're a separate independent version of their parents, we have to acknowledge as parents, like our kids are separate individual people from us, right? And like, we have to honor and respect how they perceive things, how they process things. And that is really, really difficult to do as a parent sometimes. And it's super, super difficult to parent children within the same household who all process things differently. Like my three kids could not be more different. And I have to, I use all the same tools, but I have to come at 
each kid from a different perspective with what works with the way they process things and the individual who they are, right? So it's the same basic framework, same basic framework, it's the same philosophy, but it's a it's just a little bit different in the way I approach it, right? And so um, I think that's why it's so powerful with parents for them to have the basic set of tools, because when you have the basic set of tools, you can tailor it to each child. But when you don't have the basic set of tools and you're like, no, I see it this way because I'm an adult and this is my mindset and this is what I've learned over time. And this is what my environment has taught me. I mean, we've had 30, 40 years of experiences and opportunities to practice it. Kids at, you know, four five, six, seven years old, like they don't, they haven't had the opportunities. They have to fail and it's okay to fail. And the failure looks like a meltdown and a tantrum and an explosion and because they don't have other tools in their toolbox. Like we've had all this time to process that, right? And like, they don't have the perspective on Christmas morning to be like, oh, I'm so blessed I got all these gifts. That's just like, <laughs> the expectation for kids. It's like, we we teach kids like Christmas is all about presents. And yeah, we try to teach them like Jesus and Christianity and all that too. But like, really what kids at that age hear is Christmas is like, I'm going to get a bunch of stuff. And so then it's like, well, I don't want you touching my stuff. And like, that's their perspective. But I think it's hard as parents sometimes to honor that perspective because we're, we can't change the fact that we're adults and we have an adult mindset and their kids and they have a kid mindset. But changing our perspective and understanding that and being empathetic to that, it just changes the whole dynamic. Like so much so that, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've worked with parents with super, super difficult kids. I mean, you know, like getting kicked out of school, drastic behavior issues. And literally we can do like two weeks of just kind of understanding that perspective. And then like everything calms down to the point. Sometimes the kids don't even need therapy because it's just parenting from a different perspective and including that empathy piece and like both sides understanding each other and like honoring each other's independence and autonomy and thinking. And I don't know, it's like the craziest thing to me. I still after doing it for this long, like I still have that happen sometimes. And I'm like, how does that, like, how does that happen? But it's just, it's just the perspective. Hmm. I just think it's so powerful. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's, um, it's important and really what I want to, you know, talk about on this podcast. And I think, I mean, I don't ever listen to old podcast episodes and I think hopefully I've accomplished this throughout recording the podcast episodes is like most, just like how, when we we realize, okay, there's something going on with my kid. There's like, this is definitely not the fantasy <laughs> that I had planned for. And if this kid would just be freaking easier and more cooperative and whatever I'm using, my parents are telling me, you know, she needs a whooping you know, or whatever, some old school thing. When our babies cried, this was the one I used to hear. When our babies cried, we would just put a little alcohol, you know, just a little scotch or something on the gums. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Well, guess what? Now we have something called Orgel. Um, <laughs> like we don't have to do that. Um, you know, or at three months old, when our babies didn't sleep through the night, we just gave them some cereal. You know, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, you hear all of these things and so you're trying to figure it out from the get-go. I want people to understand, like, just like when you're reading a book and you don't finish reading that book, it actually puts you to sleep, but you really need to solve this problem. My hope is that people listen to something like this and they understand 
they're not the only ones going through this. Like when their kids having big feelings, even though they understand on a conscious level that this is part of high sensitivity, you feel things bigger, you take in the world at a heightened degree, you know, smells are smellier, tags are itchier, feelings are bigger. Um, but when you're the parent of a little human who is experiencing that and living in their emotional brain, like, of course, you're going to resort sometimes to being like, knock it off. <laughs> and, and then later on, you might think, gosh, I know better. I know she's just having big, you know, and then you might go into that place of, of guilt and shame and, and, and you know better and you're still doing it the old way. And I want everyone just to know, like, that's when I say it's harder parenting these kids and we're all learning. And my strong-willed one, I feel like he grew up with us, with his parents, because us figuring this out has been such a process of us reparenting ourselves in a lot of ways, going through this, you know, understanding of like just becoming more self-aware. How am I wired? How is Scott wired? Um, why is this thing so triggering to us? You know, um, like it's part of why in the mastermind we've added all these extra programs that have to do with boundaries. Like why is it so hard for parents to set boundaries? And most it's because like, like most of us don't even know that we don't have boundaries in our families of origin. We don't, we don't know. We didn't know that we were allowed to say no to something that we didn't want to do. We thought we had to say yet, yeah. you know, we didn't know we did, we have to learn how to set boundaries for ourselves. And so the piece that has to be woven, I think into a parenting program for it to work is the, the personal development, the personal growth, the reparenting process of yourself. Um, and I would love for you guys just kind of speak to like when you first came in, I remember Carly, you said, well, I was home one day and Brian took the kids somewhere and I had eight hours and I cleaned and binged the podcast and just listened and listened and listened and listened. And so from that time where you binge the podcast to actually reaching out to us and signing up for our program to now going through some of the other programs, I would love for you to kind of speak to, to kind of that, like where you were when you were binging those podcasts, what caused you to reach out and what maybe you've learned now that you've kind of started to dig into some of the deeper work. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, um, and something you said just a minute ago um, made me think of this as well. I think where I was, is in this, um, there's something wrong with my kid. There's, so, you know, these things aren't working. So there's something wrong with her. And that day that I spent eight hours um, listening to the different podcasts, it was such a shift for me because it was like, she is describing exactly what I'm seeing, she, you know, over and over. I mean, I was, that's why I kept listening. It wasn't like this one podcast that, um, that, you know, something resonated. It was like, you know, over and over and over, there were things in there that, um, that I could identify with. And it was just such a, um, it just helped me shift the narrative because it was such a turning point of maybe there's not something wrong with her. Maybe there are a lot of kids out there like her, just like her. And she just needs me to respond to her in a certain way. 
and, and this can be different. So I kind of went from this place of, um, you know, we're in for a long road. This is just always, this always going to be difficult. My goodness, what are her teenagers going to be? I mean, you talk about future tripping. Like I was in that, like, you know, if we can't get this any better from, you know, four to six, then what in the world is 13 going to be, you know, be like, and I was just in this tough place. And, um, to just hear hours and hours of you saying things that I could identify with, um, it just, it just changed the whole way. It changed my perspective and, and, you know, and it, and it made me say, Oh goodness, this is not a her problem. This is a me problem. This is an us. This is a parent problem. This is, you know, we talk about lagging skills in children, but we had like major lagging parenting skills. And so I think it just, um, and we definitely are still on the journey, but it did leave, you know, and in your awareness program was really impactful for me with just realizing, you know, what is coming up for me in the moment. Um, because I, even, even after we had started digging into the work still, when I was, um, you know, I was telling myself Q-tip quit taking it personally, but I still wasn't realizing what it was about me that wasn't allowing me to do that. And so I think that's where, um, you know, going through the awareness programs and the boundaries programs have just sort of, um, giving me additional tools and skills to approach the basics tools as well. Thanks for listening to part one of this conversation. Don't you just love Brian and Carly? We love them in the mastermind. And I thought that it was a perfect place to end. And I just, I love it when parents show up and we're just not trying to act like everything's perfect because the truth of the matter is it's not it's not perfect. I heard Glennon Doyle recently refer to life according to commercials, like a Starbucks commercial as life porn, where it's like all these things that, you know, it's like the fantasy of Christmas in Starbucks, but then she actually went to Starbucks and she's like, but it wasn't like that. It was just like a dirty floor and people pouring syrup into coffee. And it wasn't that fantasy. She's like, it's like, you know, we're all sold all this life porn and it's sort of like comparing your sex life to, you know, a porn. Like it's just never going to be a healthy situation. And we just leave feeling less than and not good enough and disappointed that our life isn't actually living up to all of this whole fantasy. And, um, which I thought was kind of a little bit crude and crass because I'm not a proponent of porn, but I thought, you know what? It's, it is kind of true that there is so much life porn, like where we think that we're supposed to be living the, the dream and it's all about perfection and everybody's got it all figured out. And in the next episode on the podcast, when we talk with Carly and Brian, you'll find out why it really is a very big deal for Carly to share so honestly with what's going on in their home and all their concerns about having a strong-willed child and what their journey's been like. Because professionally, she's one of the people out in our society that we as parents typically turn to and we think they have all the answers. They're the all-knowing experts on all things that have to do with kids. Um, but Carly shows us, and in the next episode, both she and Brian show us, guess what? The experts that we're all, we're all turning to, they're humans too. They're dealing with this. So I think we need to all drop our ideal of perfectionism and realize that we don't want to live life porn. We like, we want 
the real, awkward, imperfect, messy moments, like that's what makes us human. And when we can see ourselves in one another, that's what makes us feel cohesive and connected and like we're not doing this whole life thing all alone because loneliness is seriously, I think, like the kryptonite for all humans. We want to feel connected. We want to feel like we're a part of a collective group and we're not on an island all by ourselves. So I can't wait for you guys to hear part two. You're really going to love it. You're going to love hearing from Amanda, our mastermind mentor and pediatric occupational therapist who just seems to know exactly what's going on with these kids. And uh, it's a great episode too. So until next time, have a great week. Hey, podcast listeners, I wanted to tell you about our VIP basics boot camp program. And what this is, is it's a uniquely tailored parenting playbook. And it's our ultimate VIP white glove one-on-one experience. This is something new that we just created last summer. We've taken through now about 10 families and they're getting huge results. It consists of the Mastermind Parenting Dream Team, which is me, Lindsay, our membership manager and our content librarian. She knows where all the resources are on every training you could possibly want. And then Amanda, who works as a mastermind mentor and also happens to be a very seasoned pediatric occupational therapist. And we work together to coach and guide you through a personalized roadmap specific to your family's journey. Of course, the goal is to reach our most challenging kids And we also want to help you become a connected family that truly gets along because I believe every human deserves that. So what will you get? Well, what about starting to take vacations instead of just trips, right? Like it's hard to take a vacation with a strong-willed child who's constantly moody and throwing temper tantrums. Um, We start by getting your child out of what we call defense zone right? Because you're really only as happy as your unhappiest child. So we help you get your child out of that place of defensiveness, acting like a dictator where everyone walks on eggshells. And we put you through this 12-week experience where we nurture you, you we get you out of overwhelm. It is a luxe VIP experience and we're very focused on supporting you, making it easy. There's no... uh, website that you have to go log into. We sort of hand feed you all the resources you need. We give you tons of coaching and support. We also help you and your co-parent get on the same parenting page. And many people have described that as better than marriage counseling. So you're interested in learning about the VIP ultimate experience, you can go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash VIP access. That's mastermindparenting.com forward slash VIP access. There's a video of me telling you more details about it. And there's lots that you can read about it and you can sign up right there from the page. So that's what I encourage you to do. If you know that 2021 is your year, your year to become a family that truly, truly gets along and is thriving. Love to see you on the inside.